this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 324, and today we are talking about books being released on August 17th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tirza, hello. Hi. I feel like you're recording in a secret volcano lair. It feels a little bit like it. It's been kind of a week. I have not had power for almost 72 hours, and I am recording in a friend's office space, which is a little bit echoey. So apologies for that, but... It can't be helped. You know, it's just, this is what it is, and... I think a lot of people in Michigan don't have power right now. So I feel lucky that I have a friend with power that I can, you know, come and impose. Yeah. Plus, you're like getting ready to leave the state tomorrow to move to a yes. different state. So I'm kind of, like, in the middle of a back. <laughs> yeah. You're like, there's a lot going on for you this week. It is. By the time you listen to this, I will be a resident of Iowa. So there's just been a lot this last week. But amazing. Um, yeah, it's all good things. It's just, you know. I, it can't ever be simple or straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know much about Iowa, except that there is a North Liberty, Iowa, because <gasps> I have a friend who lives there. Oh, well, I'm going to have to look it up. I have I myself do not know a ton about Iowa, although I am learning more every, you know, every day. And I've learned a lot in the last month and a half because this has been kind of um, a quick move for us. Yeah, But I'm very excited to get there and learn more. And one of the cool things is um, our, on our first trip to Iowa, when my partner was just interviewing and we weren't sure if we were moving there yet, I did find an independent bookstore and I found a really cool like map, like independent bookstore map of like the plains in the Midwest. And yeah. so I definitely snatched one of those up. Now I have no way, no idea where it is because I'm moving and everything's packed. But I'm excited to explore lots of cool bookish places. I imagine that there would be because you have the Iowa Writers Workshop. Right. There, which is like, you know, Marilyn Robinson, Paul Harding, Elizabeth McCracken, I believe. Like so many amazing writers went there. I think Brandon Taylor went there or Brandon Taylor lived in Iowa and he just moved to New York City. Yes. So many people. We couldn't even name them all on this show because there are so many amazing writers that have gone through the Iowa Writers Workshop. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely like I think a lot of people are like, oh, Iowa, huh? But it's very literary. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically all I know about Iowa. (laughs) And I'm going to be on the other side of Iowa from the Iowa Writers Workshop. So, you know, but there's a lot of, you know, I really dig the fact that Iowa, I think it's pretty the way it's so wide open and I'm obsessed with the windmills. I think they're gorgeous and I think that they're like elegant and powerful. And a friend told me that like half of Iowa's energy comes from wind and I think that's pretty rad. So amazing. It's going to be a cool place. Wind is good sometimes, unless you're, you know, where you are and it knocks out your power. (laughs) Yeah, then it's not so great. (laughs) Not so great. 
No, I don't have anything exciting to tell you. It's been stupid hot here, as it has been in most of the country, I believe, um, the last few days, the hottest days that we've had this summer so far. So we've been trying to keep cool. And there's a new neighborhood cat who's now public enemy number one. Oh, no. Yeah, it just likes to, it thinks that, like, I'm offering an all-you-can-eat buffet at the feeder. So, Mm -hmm. like, I I chase it off several times a day. I mean, I don't, like, I feel bad because that's what cats do. He's just doing his cat thing. But also, I don't want him to eat the birds, which he successfully does two or three times a week now. So, yeah, he's very skilled. So I go out and I'm like, hey, get out of here. And when he sees me, he runs and he jumps over the fence. But he always comes back because he's like, that lady, she's not scary. The irony is that you love cats so much, but just not eating your birds. Oh, I feel terrible, like, when I have to chase it away. But, um, like, you know, people are like, spray it with a hose, swing a bat at it. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) No, I couldn't even spray it with a hose. They're like, it's like squirting with a squirt gun. I'm like, it's not like squirting it with a squirt gun. (laughs) But, you know, that's just me. I'm just, like, a big softie, so... But, you know, the birds are like, oh, thank goodness she came back. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my exciting news, really. I got a new neighborhood cat. I've been reading more. I gave up the Book Radar newsletter, so I had a little more time to read, which has been amazing. I've been taking advantage of that, reading a lot of stuff. I got a bunch of awesome backlist recommendations from Twitter a couple weeks ago. So those are starting to roll in. I'm going to pick a couple of those up. And now we're going to talk about new books today. Yay. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Balatar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth. But the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels. Tragedy unfolds on the first day of spring when a train derails at Nishi Iwakahama Station, changing the course of hundreds of lives. Two months later, a rumor spreads of a ghost with the power to send others back in time, inevitably attracting those who seek a chance to go back to that fateful day. The God of Nishi Iwakahama Station by Takeshi Morase is a moving story about the unpredictability of life. It aims to comfort tired souls and answers the famous question, what would you do if you had a second chance? Told through the eyes of a student, a son, and a bride-to-be, this heart-wrenching novel is a reflection of how grief impacts us and what we must do to pick up the pieces. Don't miss this literary debut full of fabulism and time travel by Japanese writer Takeshi Murase. To learn more, please visit yinpress.com. And thanks again to Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels, for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, so this book is a perfect, perfect read for these hot summer days, and it is called Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. Now, if you are afraid of people watching you from the shadows or people looking through your windows, this might not be the book for you. But if you like being scared, uh, then it's definitely the book for you. If you enjoy just being terrified by everything, I also want to point out that you should just read American Predator by Maureen Callahan. That's like the scariest book I've ever read about this real serial killer in America. Like, I think about it all the time. It's the reason I bought curtains. Like, if you want to be scared, read that book. But also, read this book. This is not a true story. However, I read this book last year, and when it was sent to me, someone told me that it was true. Because it's sort of like metafiction. It's written as if it's an actual true crime case, but it is not. Uh, it is loosely based on a crime that occurred from Chismar's childhood, but you will not find the Boogeyman murders in Maryland if you look for them on Google. However, the book reads like it's a true crime. He's like, I'm writing about these crimes that happened in my town when I was younger. Uh, I'm updating an earlier edition of a book that I wrote about these crimes because now I'm going to include an interview with someone involved with the case, which is a really great hook. And he has, like, recommendations and blurbs from, like, actual authors. So if someone says to you, this is a real book about true crime, then you think, yes, it is. But it's actually, it's a novel. It's set in 1988. And Chismar himself is the main character because it's supposed to be about him. And he's returning home from college. Uh, He goes back home to Maryland to his, like, perfect suburb little home and his perfect little neighborhood. Except when he gets home, he finds out that a teenage girl that lives nearby has been found murdered. And then more horrific murders of young women follow. And they're sort of ritualistic and they're gruesome. And people are now terrified to leave their homes and for their daughters to go out at night. And then a rumor starts that something unholy might be responsible for what is happening. And this is, you know, the satanic panic of the 1980s. So people are like, yeah, this could be, you know, like demons or something like that. And Chismar is trying to start his life. He's moved in with his parents. He's going to save up and he's going to be getting married to his girlfriend. He's trying to start his writing career and get a job at a newspaper. But he's also really intrigued by this case. He gets pulled into it and ends up writing a book about it that he mentions at the beginning of this novel. Uh, And then, you know, there's an update at the end where he interviews someone from the case. And then he also has, like, the perspective of hindsight. I guess I should say, like, hindsight is 2020. You know, maybe some of the things that he knew or saw when, when this was all going on, like, he didn't realize at the time, like, how significant they were. It's super creepy and really well done. I mean, you would think, yes. I mean, I was like, oh, this is a real book. Like, But then I looked up these murders and I was like, why can't I find the boogeyman murders in Maryland? And then I did some more digging and realized, oh, it's not true. But it feels like it is. And I'm glad it's not true, but also it's so scary. Uh, I do want to give content warnings. There is a lot of them for this book. I want to give you content warnings for mentions of child sexual assault, kidnapping and murder, animal death, violence, home invasion, suicide, and chemical use. That is Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. That sounds very intriguing. And my partner loves like very scary horrors type oh. recommendations, like with, but also with like mysteries. So that yeah. is going to be perfect for this fall. Yeah. I love them. And then I read them and then I sit in you know, the middle of the night with my eyes wide open going, why do I do this? (laughs) Because it's fun. (laughs) Yes, it's so much fun. Aren't we having a great time? 
Uh, that's funny. So my first pick is Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And this is, you know, her new novel. And she is, obviously, it's her new novel. This is a book about, or this is a podcast about all new books. But um, she is such an impressive writer to me because, uh, you know, she writes in so many different genres. But she seems to, like, have a very distinctive and, like, immersive style. And I've not read everything that she has written. But I've read enough now that I think I can kind of recognize that, you know, she's really good at genre. So um, Velvet Was the Night is, um, I feel like it's kind of getting like mismarketed. Like I see a lot about it being a thriller. And I don't think that this is a thriller at all for the simple fact that it's kind of a slow burn type of plot. So it really um, reminds me of like classic noir. This book is told in two different uh, perspectives. It's told from the perspective of Elvis, who is a young man who is one of the Hawks, and he is part of this group that calls themselves Hawks, and they are living in 1970s um, Mexico City. And you kind of get the idea that like he's a part of this group and they do things that aren't completely illegal, but... Um, the motivations aren't immediately clear at the beginning of the book. Um, and then the other perspective is Maite, who is a young woman who has just turned 30. And she is not happy with her life. Like she really loves romance and the idea of like adventure and being swept off her feet. But in reality, she works as a secretary in a law office and she finds her job completely and utterly boring. Um, she has a bit of a problem with spending money she doesn't have because she's always, you know, trying to like live up to these aspirations of who she wants to be in her mind. And, and the reality is just not that. Um, so Elvis and Maite, their paths cross, um, it takes a while for the paths to cross, but they kind of draw ever closer to one another, um, because one day Maite is asked, um, if she can look after her neighbor's cat while her neighbor goes out of town. And her neighbor is this young woman named Leonora, and she, um, you know, is pretty and glamorous, and, um, Maite says yes, and she's looking after the cat, but then Leonora never returns. And she's kind of annoyed at first because she's like, you know, come back and take care of your cat, lady. And But then she starts to get curious when she gets this weird phone call from Leonora. And um, she realizes that Leonora might um, have been caught up with something a little illegal, a little dangerous, and um, kind of like against her better judgment, she also kind of gets drawn into this mystery of where Leonora went. Um, at the same time, Elvis is tasked by his boss to find out where Leonora went because she was in possession of something that he wants. Um, so I, I thought that this book was really atmospheric. Um, again, I would say that it is more of a, a slow burn type of plot, but it has a lot of really great tension in it. And you know that these two characters are just kind of circling one another, but it's just a question of like, when will they eventually come face to face and what will happen after that? I enjoyed it. I, I would say that it's not my favorite book by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, but that's not to say that I didn't like it. I still really enjoyed it. It kind of reminded me of um, Eileen by um, Atessa Moshveg, but not quite as gritty or dark. And it also reminded me of um, Who is Vera Kelly? by Ros Rosalie um, Necht, which is another sort of spy 
Um, it's set in the 60s, not the 70s. Um, but that one's um, set in Buenos Aires. And both books, like, that's kind of, like, the spectrum of, like, Vera Kelly to Eileen. And this book kind of sits, like, along the center of that. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think that, like, if you're looking to get into Silvia Moreno-Garcia's books, that um, unless you're, like, really looking for a sort of 1970s noir um, set in Mexico City, like, maybe this is not, like, the best introduction to her work, but it's still, like, just a really solid, interesting book. And I always appreciate when I learn you know, more about history through fiction. And this is, you know, something that I don't know a lot about the history of Mexico in the 1970s. So I learned a bit in Velvet Was the Name. So just a couple of content warnings, just violence, um, a couple scenes of torture. Um, so just keep that in mind. There's some violence in there. And none of it is um, like sexual violence towards women, which is cool, but there is lots of um, physical violence. I really enjoyed it. Um, so that is out now. Make sure to pick up Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I feel like more and more marketing is equating mystery with thriller. Like if a book Ugh. has a mystery in it, they're like, it's it. a thriller. And I'm just like, no, it's not a thriller. They're like, two so different things. Recently, I feel like, yeah. And it's hard because I don't, it's hard for me to pick, come up with thrillers because so many things get marketed as a thriller and you're like, eh, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not a thriller. So my next pick is a fabulous short story collection called The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, stories by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. You might recognize his name because I talked about his debut novel a couple of years ago. It's We Cast a Shadow, and I love, love, love that novel. And this is his excellent story collection. There are a lot of stories in this collection. Some of them might even be flash fiction. I'm always a little hazy on the definition of that, but some of them are so short and they're set in and around New Orleans and they are real and gritty and powerful. One is about an escaped con trying to reach a family member during the Katrina flooding. There's a young man who is feeling pressured by his friends to get revenge for the shooting death of his brother. and He's not sure that he wants to carry it out, but his friends are telling him that he needs to. There's a sex worker who thinks they found their ticket out of the city. There's an unemployed man who hasn't told his wife that he was fired, so he goes out every day and he mugs tourists to bring home money. They're just fantastic little slices of life, and like I said, they're so gritty. Um, they're very intimate and moving. I wouldn't call them uplifting. It's not what I would... It's not a word I would use for this collection, but I just thought they were amazing. The writing is incredible. I loved the way he chose to end some of these. A few of these end before the final action of the story that you would expect to happen. So you kind of can imagine for yourself what will happen. Like they stop right before this action. So, you know, is that character going to actually go ahead with that? Are they going to carry out this murder? Are they going to do this or that? Are they actually going to get caught, you know, when when it seems like it's all going wrong? You know, or what will they do when they see what they've just stumbled upon? I really liked that because you can almost imagine some of these characters, you like you feel for them and you can almost imagine a happy ending for them if you don't actually see the results, um, which is kind of fun. I wonder why more stories don't end like that. Or maybe they do and I just haven't read them. But uh, like I said, these are excellent and they're raw. And many are very short, so you can do a couple a day, or you can read them all at once. Oh, I forgot to do my content warnings, which are 
so many. So I'm just going to name a few, uh, and you can do some more research if you need to. Uh, but please beware, there are mentions of racism, homophobia, transphobia, sexual assault, child abuse, child endangerment, kidnapping, and murder, and a lot more. So there. And I also recommend going back and picking up We Cast a Shadow, because I love that novel. This is The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, stories by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. So my second pick is The Many Meanings of Milan by Andrea Wang. And this is a delightful middle grade novel. It is about um, a young girl named Milan. And she is the oldest of her cousins. And she lives with her extended family in their family's bakery in Boston. And the bakery was started by her grandmother and her grandfather. But at the beginning of the book, her grandmother has passed away and she's been gone for a couple of months now. And that loss has really um, caused a rift in the family dynamic. So very early on in like the first, you know, 50 pages of the book, essentially what happens is that um, one of her aunts believes that um, Melon's father is stealing from the bakery. She becomes very angry. There's a lot of discord amongst the aunts and uncles. And what happens is they decide to sell the bakery. And um, basically, all four of them go their own way. And this is very devastating to Milan because of something that she said. Um, she was telling her younger cousin a story. So something that she said in that story that she was making up led her her aunt to believe that her father was stealing money from them. And so she feels incredibly guilty and just very hurt and upset because she doesn't understand why her family has fallen apart like this. So um, what her parents decide to do is they pack her and her grandfather up and they start driving west. And they end up in a small town called Redbud, Ohio, where um, their fa- her father has gotten a new job as a um, pastry chef. And it's you know completely different from her old neighborhood in Boston. So here they're the only Taiwanese family in town. And there's a bit of racism that they are experiencing, both kind of overt and subtle. Um, but one piece of that is when Melan goes to register for school, um, the principal kind of just decides that her name is too complicated or too difficult or too hard for her fellow classmates and, and for the teachers to say. So he says, you know, you'll do a lot better here if you go by Melanie in school. And that just is so horrible and it makes me so mad I was you know this is a fictional book but I know that it happens um, a lot to real people and so um, of course I was angry reading that book um, also as somebody who has has a hard to pronounce name or a name that like all throughout school all my teachers had to be told how to pronounce my name and I'm white like nobody ever gave me that kind of crap so it makes me you know really angry to see it because you know it's racism in play so Melan, you know it kind of goes with it because her mom tells her to not really cause any waves. And so she is called Melanie at school and she has a really hard time making friends because people are always like, oh, hey, Melanie. And she doesn't respond to that name because she doesn't realize at first that people are talking to her, but also that's not her name. And she's kind of angry about being told that she has to go by it. And so, you know, other students think she has a bad attitude and it's really tough for her. So um, throughout the course of this book, she's just trying to figure out, you know, how to try to get her family back together. But also, who is she supposed to be in school and at home and with new friends um, when she can't even really claim her own name for herself? 
I just thought that this was a really lovely middle grade novel um, it, about the power of names, about the power of story, about how complicated family can be, um, you know, because this is a very messy family dynamic that is not easily solved. And, um, you know, without giving away too many spoilers, I just think that it's really great to see that um, on the page. Because there's a lot of things that happen in families that, you know, maybe the adults are the ones responsible or in charge, but they have like real impacts on, on kids. And, um, that, that's not, they, they can't always be solved. And sometimes they can be and sometimes they can't. Um, so I think that exploring that in this middle grade novel will hopefully make a lot of young readers feel a little less alone. Um, but it was just also done super well. So that is The Many Meanings of Melan by Andrea Wang. And a content warning for some racism, but this is a middle grade novel, so it was um, pretty low key. All right. Speaking of the power of stories, my next pick is Never Say You Can't Survive, How to Get Through Hard Times by Making Up Stories by Charlie Jane Anders. Something that I think about a lot for some reason, when I'm watching things or listening to things or reading things, is how we've been around for so long now, the humans, and people are so creative and there's still so many things coming out all the time that are original, you know, or like fantastic. You know, I'm always like, how do they make music that doesn't sound like everything else? You know, like, how is there still new kinds of music? And I just love it. It makes me so happy. You know, like you think like, oh, everything must have been done, but it's not, it's not even close. It's just people are so creative and I love that. You know, for instance, there are thousands of books, if not hundreds of thousands of books of writing advice. You know, it, they're just are. But yet, Charlie Jane Anders has managed to write a new one that feels fresh and fun. Not that I've read a lot of books of writing advice. I've read a few. But this one is so much fun. If you recognize the name, that is because Charlie Jane Anders is a wildly successful writer. She has several books under her belt already, such as All the Birds in the Sky and Victories Greater Than Death, which we talked about on the podcast a few months ago, in which I am so excited for the sequel. Uh, but in this awesome book, she talks about writing, but without making you feel like you're reading a book about writing or reading a book to learn something. Instead, it feels like you're having an informal chat with a smart, funny friend who is telling you stories about their life, and oh yeah, here's how you can take some things from your life and use them to your advantage. Anders offers anecdotes from her own life and tips to help you get your own writing started or to help shape a work already in progress. And she also talks about how the world is a scary place. It's a scary place. And Anders beautifully explains how you can help out your heart and your mind and help them get through it by using your imagination and how you can harness your feelings of rage and helplessness to create art. It's exactly what we need right now. Even if you're not thinking about writing something, if you read this book, you might be inspired. That's how I felt. Every once in a while, I'm like, I wonder if I could write something. Then I'm like, eh, I'm too busy reading. But this book was like a great big sparkly kick to my gray cells. You know, after reading it, I am feeling oodles more confident that I might actually be able to wrestle some words out of my brain pan. It's just so much fun. I also read this as an e-galley, and so I'm looking forward to getting a physical copy so I can go back and mark it up because there are so many great pieces of advice and just wonderful sentences that I would love to underline. Um, this is basically just a Charlie Jane Anders appreciation segment now. I had the honor of interviewing Charlie Jane Anders recently, uh, and she's just the most delightful human, 
And her cat also made an appearance on the Zoom call. He wanted to be part of it. He was, like, very jealous that he wasn't involved, so he showed up. And then there was something that I saw, you know, because we've all been doing a ton of Zoom calls recently. And Charlie Jane Anders has a background on this call. Like, she had a, a space background, I think. And she did something that I had never seen anyone else do, in that she got up from her desk and walked back towards her kitchen, and it looked like she was being swallowed by space. And I thought that was awesome. Like, I've never seen anybody, like, walk into their fake background, so I didn't know that this happened, but it was just like, she was like absorbed by, you know, the universe, and it was amazing, and it was probably my favorite part of the interview, except for the part where I got to talk to her, because it was awesome. Anyway, I'm just babbling about Charlie Jane Anders now. I just love her. And like I said, just read this book. You might be inspired, you know, or it might help you with what you're working on now. It's just so much fun. It is Never Say You Can't Survive, How to Get Through Hard Times by Making Up Stories by Charlie Jane Anders. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips. So Louise Manson is the newest student at Highfield Manor, Dublin's most exclusive private school. Behind its granite walls are high-arched alcoves, an oak-lined library, and the dark secret Lou has come to expose. So Lou's working class status makes her the consummate outsider. That is until she is befriended by some of her beautiful and wealthy classmates. But after Lou attempts to bring the school's secret to light, her time at Highfield ends with a lifeless body sprawled at her feet. Then, 30 years later, Lou gets a shocking phone call. A high-profile lawyer is bringing a lawsuit against the school, and he needs Lou to testify. Lou will have to confront her past and discover, once and for all, what really happened at Highfield. Powerful and compelling, When We Were Silent is a thrilling story of exploitation, privilege, and retribution with themes of revenge, love, power, and secrets. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Tirza, what do you have next? All right, so my next book is How to Kill Your Best Friend by Lexi Elliott. And I think that one of the very first times I came on the show, I talked about Lexi Elliott's um, The Missing Years, which I loved. So it was kind of fun to, you know, bring it full circle and talk about um, her latest book. 
Um, so How to Kill Your Best Friend is told from two different perspectives. Um, Georgie and Bronwyn, they are British women, like in their, I think, like mid to late 30s. They have been super close friends um, since um, they were at university. Um, and then they had a third member of their little sort of triangle group, and that was Lissa. And at the very beginning of the book, Georgie and Bronwyn reunite at this beautiful sort of island paradise resort. And they are there for the memorial service of Lissa, who died a few months earlier due to drowning. So she, you know, was swimming when she wasn't supposed to. They never really recovered a body, but there's enough evidence that they have that they are pretty certain that she um, drowned. And so like they're shattered because you know, she was one of their best friends. Um, but Georgie sort of starts asking questions once they're there because she thinks it's really odd that Lissa died drowning. Um, she um, knows that, you know, Lissa was a very strong swimmer. All three of them, the way they met in university was they were on the swim team. So they have, you know, gone on numerous vacations over the years where they pick spots where they can go swimming and they, you know, do like a lot of open ocean swimming and, and they've done a lot of complex sort of swims that... Like the average person going on vacation would not be able to do. Um, so it just doesn't make a lot of sense to Georgie. And Bronwyn is similarly kind of, you know, not certain what's going on, but she also doesn't really want to entertain thoughts that something weird happened. Um, but then immediately after the memorial service, weird things start happening. So like Bronwyn gets this really threatening message in her villa. Lex, or not, excuse me, not Lexi, Georgie, the character, she receives like a really weird fax that tells her to follow the money. And so basically lots of hints that, um, you know, point to the fact that, you know, maybe this is foul play. But then to add on top of all of this, both Bronwyn and Georgie have these very interesting memories and these recollections of Lissa. And you sort of start to, to see as you get deeper into the book that like Lissa was not like this perfect, happy person that she sort of presented as at the very beginning. Basically, both Georgie and Bronwyn were a little bit afraid of her because they thought that she was capable of murder. And in fact, they have often wondered if she did not, in fact, you know, commit some murders or do some really terrible things that, you know, they've kind of known about, you know, but they don't have evidence that Lissa is responsible, but they've really heavily suspected. And, and this is kind of like the elephant in the room that they've never, ever brought up. So, you know, now that Lissa is dead, but like all this weird stuff keeps happening to them, um, it really puts them on edge. And then, of course, as all of this is, you know, playing out, a big storm strains them all in this um, on this island where they're staying at this beautiful resort. And the resort also, I should mention, um, was co-owned by Lissa and her husband. So, you know, some some scary stuff starts happening. Uh, it, this is like a really fun sort of um, 
I don't know. It's like a beach read thriller. I really enjoyed it, though. I, I enjoyed Lexi Elliott's work. This was what I listened to on audio and kind of breezed through as I was packing and doing a lot of other stuff. Um, but, you know, it's it's a good book if you really enjoy, I think, Lucy Foley and her um, sort of mystery slash thrillers. In some ways, this one does start to feel a bit more like a thriller towards the end because there's just a lot of different things that are happening and, and the plot definitely amps up a bit. So yeah, if you just want like a really fun sort of, you know, what if your best friend was a murderer? And what if she wasn't really dead? And who can I sort of trust? And if you can't trust your oldest friends, then who can you trust kind of thriller? How to Kill Your Best Friend by Lexi Elliott's really fun. For my last pick, after talking about a very charming book about writing, I'm going to bring it down again with this very serious but very fascinating book called Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire by Lizzie Johnson. It's really, it's a look at the wildfires in California in this specific town from beginning to end. You know, we don't often, we hear about like wildfires, but we don't often think about, you know, what happens after, or maybe we just don't hear about what happens after if it doesn't affect us. Um, and this is some hella amazing investigative reporting. On November 8th, 2018, the people of Paradise, California awoke to raging wildfires that engulfed their whole town in a matter of hours. By the same time the next morning, 85 people had died. And Lizzie Johnson follows this story from its very first spark to its last ember. She explores the root causes, the negligence on behalf of the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, but also the ineffective alert system that the town had, as well as a look at climate change and how that plays a part in wildfires now. She interviews survivors, firefighters, nurses. She examines 911 calls that took place. And like I said, we hear about wildfires all the time, but we, which is sad, but we don't often hear like what happens after, after your town has been decimated, you know, and like someone has to pay for, for what has been done or if there is someone to pay for what has been done. It was really sobering, but wildly fascinating. Uh, it is Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire by Lizzie Johnson. That sounds really fascinating. Um, it has been on my TBR as well, um, just because, I don't know, I, I feel drawn to those types of books that, yeah, you know, are about these really disastrous things. But at the same time, there's a part of my brain that's like, no, you must know all of the disaster preparedness things because yeah. it's only going to get worse, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's excellent. I mean, the writing is incredible, too. She did an amazing job. Oh, that's good to know. All right. So my final book, I'm going to leave you on a like lightly whimsical note, I hope. Um, it's Unraveled by Leanne Hatch. And this is a picture book. And I know I don't often talk about picture books um, when I, it's my turn to be on all the books. But this one was just so delightful. It hit like a few of my favorite things. And so this is about a young boy named Cole who has a favorite blanket as I think, uh, you know, a lot of kids do. And he, his blanket is a blue knit blanket that his mother made him when, you know, he was still in utero and um, before he was born. And so he has always loved this blanket and it's grown up with him and he, you know, does a million things with this blanket. And then one day the blanket starts to unravel. And it's really, really sad because, you know, it's not the same after that. And it's just this big pile of yarn. 
And he's really sad and he takes it to his mom and his mom says, okay, we're going to figure something out. And then when he, you know, wakes up the next morning, the blanket has been transformed. So it's, you know, I just gave you the entire plot of the book, but that's okay because you need to go pick this book up and you need to look at the illustrations because Leanne Hatch both wrote and illustrated and her illustrations are so lovely. Um, I love the color palette that she used in this um, picture book. I think the illustrations are just, they're playful, they're charming. They have like a really great energy to it. There's a lot of love in, in the picture book and a lot of love just sort of very casually and beautifully illustrated between the mom and the son. There's, um, you know, a cat that is his companion and the cat shows up in a lot of the pages as well. I'm also a knitter, so I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of a sucker for good picture books about hand knits and knitting and, and craftiness. And so it was really sweet. Um, it's I think that this would be an excellent um, picture book if you've got like a little one in your life or if you have an upcoming baby shower and you want to gift a really nice picture book that isn't, you know, Good Night Moon because everybody gets Good Night Moon. Um, you can be different. You can pick out Unraveled by Leanne Hatch. All right, those are our new books. So what are you going to read next? All right, so next I am going to be reading The Quiet Zone, Unraveling the Mystery of a Town Suspended in Silence. Um, I don't know if you know about this book. It's new. It's by Stephen um, Kirksey. Just came out like a couple weeks ago. But it is a nonfiction book about this um, Appalachian community where like all sort of Wi-Fi and radio signals um, are completely banned because it's a place where like the military does a lot of testing and research. And so there's just, you know, I, I think there's also like an observatory there that they, it, you can't have Wi-Fi or it'll mess with the observatory and the scopes and what they do. Obviously, I don't know a ton about it yet because I haven't read it, but I am just really curious about the idea of, like, there's this town in the U.S. where, like, there's no radio or Wi-Fi or cell phones or anything and, like, what sort of effect that has on a community. So it looks really good. Um, my partner and I downloaded that for our... Um, driving to Iowa audiobook. Um, so I'm always excited to read like really good nonfiction. My partner and I listen to a lot of nonfiction together and it's really fun. I am very excited to read that as well. I have it. I just never got to it in time, but it's on my list of things to read like 8 million other <laughs> things. I am actually going to be reading a backlist next. It is Hexwood by Diana Wynne Jones. Surprising no one. I have several of her books but I've only ever read Howl's Moving Castle. So the other day when I was asking Twitter for recommendations, somebody mentioned this one. So I was like, oh, all right. So I'm going to read that next. And I finally made it to Night Shift in my Stephen King reread. Um, I've just been really busy. And also, you know, the stand is very long. <laughs> so <laughs> I made it to Night Shift. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online, Twitter and Instagram is Tirza Price for Tirza. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. 
And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, it's now 120 degrees in my office, and I'm not going to make it much longer. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.